Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Perceptive Photographer Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Gregory. This is episode 418 of our little podcast, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about The Nature of Photographs, a wonderful book by Stephen Shore. So we're going to dive a little bit into that. But first, I just wanted to have everybody put on their calendar April 17th through the 20th. This is a little pre-announcement. There's going to be a Photoshop Creativity Virtual Summit. There's going to be all sorts of amazing classes on the creative life, creative process, and some of the digital tools that can help you get to achieve those creative visions. I'll be teaching two classes. One is on understanding your voice, vision, signature, and style, and the other one's on printing. So those are two different workshops, uh, two different classes in the workshop, but an amazing, absolutely, truly amazing collection of very, very creative and wonderful instructors. So I'll have more information about signing up for that, and that'll be out later this week. You'll get that on the newsletter if you're a subscriber. And if not, head up to my website and subscribe to that newsletter, and you'll stay up to date on all that information. Okay, I was cleaning up my bookcase and going through my hundreds and hundreds of books I have on photography, which is taking it a lot longer than I expected because as I come across a book I haven't been in in a while, I've been opening it up and doing a little reading, a little perusing, so to speak, as I get things reorganized and grouped a little bit more efficiently on the bookshelf. One of those books was Stephen Shore's The Nature of Photographs. And that's a really, really great book. If you've never taken a look at it, it's worth checking out from the library or picking up a copy at the bookstore, at the used bookstore. It's got some really interesting approaches to thinking about how to read, understand, and interpret photographs. And one of the things that I think is interesting about it is Stephen didn't really focus in on the content of a photograph. What he was really interested interested in was looking at the attributes, the actual photograph itself, the tangible nature of the photograph, and the attributes that make up the photograph to understand how the photographer used the tools that they had available to them to define and interpret the content. It was really more, it's more on the sort of the interpretive side of the photograph rather than what is the long-term societal impact of the photograph. And it's an interesting, interesting way to think about photographs and looking and reading photographs. But in there, just to give you a quick summary before we dive into kind of the, the meat and potato of what I wanted to talk about, Shore talks about photographs existing on a number of different levels. There's a physical level, a depictive level, a mental level, and then a mental modeling level that sort of happens. The physical level is the actual physicality of the actual image. So this is the, you know, in the analog world, this is the paper that comes out. This is the print that comes out, the chemistry that we use to make it, and the process that went into that. In the digital sphere, this would be the actual print that comes off of the printer, or in many cases now, that object is as it's represented on screen. So it becomes the physical object of the sort of the, the final image as we're looking at it as having been processed by the photographer. The depictive level is really where we get into sort of the nuts and bolts of how we would process and perceive and read and understand that photograph. And in there, Stephen talks about the flatness of a photograph. And even though the world is three-dimensional, a photograph is two-dimensional, and then the photograph has to create the illusion of that three-dimensionality in space. Our perception of the world, because it's driven by the real world, which is three-dimensional, is then driven back into that photograph experience. The reason that three-dimensionality works is we have binocular vision, two eyes that actually allow us to see. The photograph is monocular because it only has one lens, one eye, one way of viewing, unless you're using a stereoscopic camera. But that result of that causes a shift in how foreground and background subjects relate. And that was one of the key elements inside of what Stephen Shores talks about in the nature of the photograph 
as it relates to the image. These relationships within the photograph and the way the camera sees differently than how we see fundamentally shifts our experience of looking at the photograph. John Zarkowski, inside of his essay, The, Photo the Photographer's Eye, also a wonderful book. If you haven't checked that out, grab that from the library. But in there, John talks about a couple of components within that, one of which is illustrated within the frame and within the detail and within the vantage point, that same concept of how do we structure the world? How do we recreate the world and build relationships between things that exist within the world and how they overlap? But back to Stevens, we get back into the next component within, within the depictive level, and that's the notion of the frame. Now, the world we live in has no borders. It has no edges. We're able to take in and view the entire totality of the world in a 720 degree circle, up and down, all around. We can see the full dimensionality of the world, but the photograph has edges and the photo photographer is in charge of creating those edges. And that's the way we view the photograph. The things that are included in the frame are what we use in the visual grammar of how we compose. So we frame, we decide where those edges are going to be. Then we will move and shift and change to get the composition the way we want, or hopefully we do some work to get the composition the way we want, but we work within the bounds of that frame. Much of what happens in a photograph is the extrapolation of what's happening outside the frame of that photograph. So as we look at these images and we start to imagine these photographs, we imagine not just what are we looking at, but also what was the environment in which that photograph was taken. And that's a really interesting concept, I think, because as we think about the notion of the frame, what's included and what's excluded, and then what is the relationship of the composition within that frame, there's an interesting opportunity for photographers to be very expressive because we're bound by those objects. Unlike painting, where we can go add in or easily, well, I guess digitally we could do this, but during the capture process, we don't remove or add during the creation process. When the camera actually takes that photograph, what is ever present in the world is bound and defined by that capture. Now, again, in post-production, we have all sorts of opportunities to add or remove things. But in that capture, we're bound by that moment. We're bound by that notion of what's concluded within the edges. Another component, which is in both Zarkowski's and in Shore's piece, is the notion of time. And that photographs are a static representation of the world. They, uh, our time moves, and photographs can be either compressed in time or extended in time but time is an important part of the process of photography. And photographs can be much more active where there's motion and blur in them, or they can become much more static. And that's not dependent upon what we see in the world, but rather how the camera captures what we see in the world. We could take a high-speed car that's driving 200 miles an hour and freeze it as if it's standing still. And we could also take a turtle it's walking incredibly slowly and drag the shutter, give it a long exposure and make it seem as if that turtle is moving over a period of time. So we have lots of opportunity with that. Now, the last piece in the depictive level of the model is focus, which is the main thing I wanted to talk about today. So I want to return to that here in a second. But the last two pieces, just real quick to, to finish those out, is the mental level, which is when we see a photograph, we then rebuild the three-dimensional world we ascribe any meaning that is it is within the image or not within the image. This is where the effect of the grammar of composition, how does line, shape, form, and space 
allow us to elicit a response to a photograph or not elicit a response to the photograph. And then the last piece of the book, which is, I think, in many ways, one of the most compelling parts is the notion of mental modeling, which is we base our photographs on a construct we have in our own head of what makes a good photograph or what the photograph is supposed to be when we click the shutter based on what we what we observe in front of us. And that one of the keys to being really successful in photography is not to be bound by a strict, rigid model. And the example I give in the book is Stephen talks about people who do sunset photographs, landscape photographs. They only do them at sunset because that's the golden hour. That's the best light. And they're missing an opportunity to be much more expressive, potentially in their landscape photography by being flexible and responding to different elements rather than being rigid in that particular approach. So that's the, the kind of the summary gist of that book, which took seven, eight minutes, but is much longer to read. But anyway, the focus was the piece that I really wanted to talk about because this was the this was the piece that we're returning to it. I really kind of you know popped into my head how much I hadn't thought about this in a long time since I originally read the book several years ago. But focus is interesting because it helps define the relationships of things in the photograph. And it also sets the hierarchy of what's important or not important in the photograph. And that was the part that really kind of got me thinking about the approach to how we deal with focus within our images. Because we go to parts of a photograph that are sharper. We go to the parts that are in focus before we go to the parts that are out of focus. And it's also important to recognize that within any photograph is the focal plane. And that is the point of focus. And then past that, in front of that or behind that, is the area of acceptable sharpness before things become too soft and they become out of focus at that point. And so unless you're photographing a two-dimensional surface, a flat two-dimensional surface, and you're perfectly parallel to that surface, there is going to be a point at which that camera will start to soften focus. And this harkens back a little bit to the West Coast F64 tradition of F64 on a large format camera with tilts and shifts that allow us to create a much more in higher, a higher level, deeper level of focus that allowed for everything from the foreground to the background to be as sharp as possible. Now, again, it's within an area of acceptable sharpness. And what's interesting about that is if we think about those F64 images, what we're looking at is that everything in that photograph is equally important because they are all at equal weights of sharpness. And so we are now relying on other visual cues within our grammar, within the frame, to help us understand the context of what matters or doesn't matter within the photograph. But as you think about approaching your photography, as you think about the notion of examining a scene, as you're thinking about the frame and you're thinking about the details and the things you're going to photograph, one of the things that's interesting there is thinking in your own mental visualization of what is it that's important in this photograph? And do I have the most important thing in focus? Is the most significant element in focus? And then what is the relationship of everything else to that in terms of its perception of sharpness versus out of focus? Because as we ascribe hierarchy to things that become less and less and less in focus, it doesn't mean that they don't have value. It doesn't mean that they're not important in the composition. It doesn't mean that they don't add significant meaning to understanding the photograph. Helping us decipher the content within the frame. 
But are we weighting things appropriately? Are we paying attention to the things that matter within the image? And the reason I think this is important is even outside Stephen's interest in looking at content, from a narrative standpoint, if we think about the story of a photograph or the story of a collection of photographs, by thinking about focus and by using focus as a way to drive a deeper connection to the work of what's truly important within the work, it affords us an opportunity to potentially engage in the narrative in a different way. If we're a person who, and I'm a person who shoots a lot of landscape work, I'm thinking about how much things should be in focus. I come out of sort of the influence of the West Coast, so a lot of things stay in focus. But the value of the blur, the value of the things that are not in focus, creating a more compelling experience that speaks more to the intention of what I'm thinking about. Because one of the other things that Zarkowski talks about is the notion of detail in photography. And that one of the things that photography did is it allowed for the mundane objects of the world to get a lot of attention through photography. Because everything could be pointed at with the camera. And so things like dirty dishes, broken plants, glass, graffiti on a wall, everything started to get photographed and started to take on a different significance. The actual detail of the image, the details within the world, created a different context and a different meaning. And so if we start to think about the narrative construct of what is it that I'm attempting to say? What is it about the world that is important and matters? And if we're looking at small details, if we're looking at little observations of the world that may or may not go by that others may or may not notice, the level of focus we put onto the thing that is significant to us does really matter in how we approach our photography. And so as you think about focusing your images, if you think about how to focus your camera, Break out of that mental model of what you always do related to focus, whether it's shallow depth of field or full depth of field, in an attempt to create a different narrative, a different structure to the photographs that is more purpose and meaningful to how you think about what is important and what is less important as I build the frame. Because again, we're responsible for the edge-to-edge -edge content within the image and that edge-to-edge -edge content and how the viewer reads the grammar of that structure within those edges, lines, form, shapes, pattern, in focus and out of focus, is also very much how they will then complete the construct of what's happening outside the frame. And so you're giving an opportunity for a much more expressive conversation to happen by extending that frame, by being a little bit more flexible in that mental model you may take on how you think about what is significant or not within the frame. Again, if you haven't checked out the book, it's definitely worth a read. It's, it's not really nerdy academic. It's pretty easily written. A lot of Stephen's stuff is very approachable in that way, just like a lot of the photographs are. So hopefully I've given you a little bit of things to think about today as you approach some of your photography. I know for me, it's great to return to some of those books. If you haven't read John Zarkowski's The Photographer's Eye, it's a wonderful, wonderful essay, wonderful book. I believe it's actually online. If you just search for it, there's probably copies out there to check on that. Have a wonderful week behind the camera. Good luck keeping things in focus or out of focus or however you deem focus to be important. And again, don't forget to save that April 17th through the 20th for the Photoshop Creative Virtual Summit. And I will be back next week with episode 419 of the Perceptive Photographer Podcast. Again, I'm Daniel Gregory, your host, and thanks again for listening.